Welcome to Centering, the podcast on Asian American Christianity. I'm your host, Irene Cho. This season, we're featuring guests with various perspectives on Asian American topics and the church. Thanks for joining us. Hello, all. Welcome to Centering. It's our final episode for season two. I'm so sad. It's just I've had such a wonderful time being your host for this season. And I'm excited to bring you our actually our largest group of folks. We've got three guests today to talk about conversations with Asian American youth and the importance of building relationship with our next generation and what our church is going to look like as things progress in our country and all the things that are happening right now. So I am so honored and privileged to be sitting here with three brilliant folks. I'm going to let them introduce themselves um, and make it really short and sweet for all of us because we really have a lot to dive into. So let's start with Jane. If you can please introduce yourself, I'd love to know where you're at, the city you're in, your youth ministry background, and why youth is important to you. Yeah. Hey, I'm Jane Hong Guzman de Leon. I'm native to SoCal, so that's pretty much where I'm at. But I've always kind of done ministry along the OC LA County border. So I was a youth pastor for six years at a large second generation Asian American church. And then after that, I did some college ministry. And then I helped with our LA church plant with a large young adult population. And now I'm at Fuller Youth Institute, working as a project coordinator, focusing on some multicultural projects. So I'm really happy to be here. Welcome. I'm Rosanna. You want to go? Sure. Uh, my name is Rosanna Sa. I'm actually originally from New York City, currently residing in Chicago. So now I'm a Midwesterner. <laughs> I did most of my youth ministry work out in New Jersey for over 10 years, working with second generation Korean Americans. And now I'm actually transitioning. I'm back in school for my counseling degree, concentrating in school counseling. Mm-hmm. So I will hopefully be a school counselor by next fall. I love it. And our only male guest, please, (laughs) Kevin, introduce yourself. (laughs) Yeah, Hi, my name is Kevin Ahn. I was born and raised in Orange County, but I actually was in Chicago for about eight years for my undergrad in seminary and then decided to ditch the cold for uh, warmer weather in SoCal again. Yeah, just wasn't about that life. But um, (laughs) yeah, but my youth ministry experience included kind of working with youth outreach on the south side of Chicago for uh, about three years with a parachurch ministry called Sunshine Gospel Ministries. And I was a youth pastor at a small Korean American church for about three years in the Chicagoland suburbs. And currently I'm youth pastoring at a church out here in Diamond Bar. So, yeah. Cool. So just for the audience to know, I know I've been hosting all season, but I am a diehard youth person as well. Been involved in youth ministry in some way, shape or form for the last 25 plus years, mostly in Southern California, but I've grown up back East as well. I'm from New York and Philly. So East Coast represents. And I've been doing junior high for nine years and then high school for four. And then I've been doing more youth leader training, also working at Fuller Youth Institute, now launching on my own, hopefully providing and creating progressive urban youth ministry resources since most of what's out there is produced by white male conservative evangelicals. And, you know, there are just more other types of Christians. So that's where I'm at. I do want to acknowledge that every one of us on today's episode, we are Korean American. We did have a few other Southeast Asians and Chinese and other folks that we invited to the table, but because of time constraint, we could not do that. So I just wanted to acknowledge that demographic as we are 
talking about these conversations with youth kids, that we are doing it from an East Asian perspective, in particular, Korean American perspective. So I just wanted to say that to the audience. So let's dive in to kind of an introductory question. What would you say are the top three things that every parent auntie and uncle, grandparent, volunteers should know about engaging in deeper conversations with Asian American youth as we've discovered on our journey? Very light question to start off with. I can start. So my three thing, my three advice to offer anyone who loves an adolescent Asian American youth would be one, to meet the adolescent where he, she, or they are. See them for who they are striving to be and are becoming. And third, don't let your own expectations, hopes, and dreams drown the adolescent uh, from discovering who he, she, or they are destined to be. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking similar on the similar lines, but just more specific. Learn to listen without judging, criticizing, telling them what to do, or trying to control their lives. (laughs) We all know that truth. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, I would say kind of something, something I didn't really discover until my early twenties was yeah. differentiating between that, the command of like honoring your mother and father and saying no to your mother and father. Mm. I think that's something like the, you know, students just feel like they always have to say yes because they are kind of just compelled to always say yes to their parents. So realizing that you can honor your parents by also saying no to them and like, following what God has called you to. Second one I had was that failure is a teacher and not sort of a mark of shame. So I think some of the things that my own parents that I learned from them, the lesson that came that I derived the most from them was when they told me me about their own shortcomings and that's Mm -hmm. something that just really endeared them to me. And then the idea of that God has chosen them and that, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily exceptional, I guess. That's kind of a Walter, yeah, that's a Walter Brueggemann idea that I'm kind of cribbing from. Mm-hmm. But just the idea that God has chosen you, you have value, you have dignity, but that doesn't mean that we have this sort of like exceptionalism that like we are this sort of like you mean uber we're successful not, culture. We're not all unicorns? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. The only one, I, I love all of these. The only one I would add as well would be helping our young people, and I say this over and over again, I think everywhere, helping our young people learn how to ask better questions, better questions to themselves mm-hmm. of the structures they're involved in, in their purpose, in their identity, in their goals, the things they want to achieve, in their failures. How can we help our young people not simply be problem solvers? But mm-hmm. in order to be good problem solvers, it means they need to learn how to ask better questions. And I have experienced a lot of our youth kids are so programmed and taught that they need to achieve and excel. They right. don't take time to process and sit and think about what the meaning is, the thing behind the curtain, right? Because they're so focused on breaking through the curtain and not thinking about who's pulling the curtain, who's you know running the curtain, who's you know all the things that are involved in it. I used to love stumping, you know, especially Asian kids who are just, what, tell me what to do and I'll do it, you know? And so Kevin, I love what you're saying, this way of how can we even, even learning how to say no to our parents while yet honoring them, that it just takes so much processing and journeying and even throwing, not giving them methods of how to do that, but asking them questions and they hate it. And I love that they hate it, right? It's just like so delicious when they're like frustrated <laughs> 
They're like, Pastor Irene, just tell me what to do. I'm like, oh, but what would be the fun and joy of that, right? (laughs) But a lot of us who have experienced and serving youth, especially in particular Asian American contexts, and I think Asian contexts, you know, I think a lot of us, I've served predominantly in immigrant churches. I think Jane, you know, has been in second gen churches. And I think Roseanne, Roseanne and I, you and I have talked how even being in second gen um, Asian American church didn't solve the problems that we thought were problematic in immigrant church environments. And so how do we help engage in these conversations like we all have these bullet points of what is important and I think all of what you've said is great and yet how do we help young people thrive in these systems that seem to be set up in our Asian American structure and beliefs and philosophies and cultures which I know varies very widely and yet there's something there's like a similar thread that kind of runs through all these intergenerational problems that we have and conflicts that we have. So I guess my question is, you know, what have you discovered as we are dealing with, you know, we give advice to these adults on how to engage young people and yet how do we help them even learn the advice that we give them when there's so much hierarchy and patriarchy and all these things that exist in our Asian American system? I, I can I can start. I feel like uh, as youth pastors, we have a really golden opportunity to kind of create a safe space, like an in-between space, a place where they can ask those questions that they can't ask their relatives. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, a lot of times I would have my youth kids talk to me and I would tell them, I won't say anything to your parents you know, like unless it's life threatening. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about it. And I think so many times you're right, like Asian American kids are programmed to just study hard, do well, behave well. They don't have a, a space to ask hard questions or even figure out who they are. They're always told who they need to be. And so I've I've really found church to be a, a golden opportunity to do that. One concern though is being in a second gen setting, I noticed, you know, now that they have second gen geners have more stability, financial stability, they've kind of all bought into that American dream, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of really doing kind of like deep, I don't know, just deep life work and hey, let's um let's figure these things out. How can we yeah, like maybe just do things better than first gen or whatnot? It's like what you're saying, Irene, we've kind of brought in a lot of first gen ways that are difficult. And then we've like gladly taken in white evangelical Christianity. And so I've seen sometimes where churches have been a place of, it's another addition to like you becoming good and living that, that white American dream. And church cannot be a place where you're just saying, you know what, don't worry about these other problems. Like just believe in Jesus or, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And so we, we hold that tension and, we have to be intentional. We can't just have good programs. And as long as they're behaving well and showing up, it's all good. Mm-hmm. It's not all good. And what I saw was, oh my God, my third gen youth kids, they might not have our first gen, second gen problems, but now they're going to have white middle upper class <laughs> problems mm-hmm. of the church dying because mm-hmm. they don't really even care about God and church anymore. It's all about success and themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, that was a mouthful. <laughs> no, I love it. It was all so good. Um, I think so many, with everything that's going on right now in in our society, 
with microaggressions. I think the church, uh, Jane, you were saying that is kind of the safe space for second generation Asian Americans to come and find a community where they don't have to be invisible. Yeah. And I think that's really the biggest hurdle, I think, for so many Asian Americans, just being overlooked and having no voice, even in our history books where Asian Americans, even though we've been, you know, Chinese American immigrants have been here for over hundreds of years, mm-hmm. you know, don't ever read about that. So I think in this whole Asian minority, um, Asian model, what is it? The uh, minority, minority. sorry, the model minority myth, we continue to perpetuate that. And so failure is not an option, I think, because Mm -hmm. we are taught by our parents that we must excel because if, you know, if we don't have a voice, at least we can at least get the, gain the respect of society by being perfect and and that is not a healthy model, um, especially in the church where you have the Bible, you know, teaching us how to strive for perfection. That kind of perpetuates this idea that we have to be perfect mm-hmm. when that is the opposite, where the church is for the broken, for those who are in pain, for those who are hurting and who have been rejected and abandoned. And it's sort of this kind of this opposite effect where you know, I, I love what you were saying, Kevin, earlier about failure, that we all fail um, mm-hmm. as part of life. And it's just a matter of understanding our failures and finding meaning in them and becoming better people from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the main lesson to really portray, uh, to share with our parents and adults in our kids' lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I uh, really appreciate that. One of the things, my, one of my friends who works for an on-campus ministry talked about how what they're seeing is that a lot of like, these like Asian American kids would come and join like an Asian American Christian college ministry. And that would, how that used to serve as them discovering their kind of Asian heritage a little bit that they maybe were rejecting for a long time due to like Mm -hmm. just pressure to assimilate in high school, middle school, whatever. But what they're seeing that now is that that's happening less in Christian on campus group groups and more in just regular Asian American campus groups. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think for second gen Asian American churches that are still sort of in name, they're coming together in Christ, but functionally they're coming together in the sake of like being Korean American, being Chinese American. And, and I hate saying that Asian American churches do this because majority cultures do churches do this too. They just don't have that label, but it's because they're bound under like coming together under cultural sameness rather than like who Jesus is, who is like the great reconciler of all groups that they're, Asian American kids are able to find that in, in better ways outside of the church. And so finding ways that they can be seen, finding ways where they can discover their own voice and discover kind of their own story in a way outside of the church. And so I think what the church then needs to do is sort of stopping just like a social club or a group mm-hmm. where like, oh yeah, these are my Korean friends that I can go to Norebang with on Saturday night and then mm-hmm. go to church in the morning with. So yeah. Right. And Norebang mm-hmm. meaning karaoke for those. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's really fascinating that we standardize karaoke, even though technically I know. it's a Japanese right. word. It's so fascinating. <laughs> oh, the complexities of Asian Americanness. I, I love where this conversation, because that was actually my next question. So way to segue. I think what Kevin touched on and all of us is 
how do we, this has been my own journey as well. I grew up very needing to assimilate in, in New York. My school is 85% Jewish. I hated being Asian. I look like I'm 10 years old when I'm 16. It was just the worst, right? <laughs> it's great now that I'm 44, but... Yeah, because so, now you're forever 21, I girl. Know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Asian don't raisin and I will take it. Yes. Um, and so I, I love all of that. But I, coming from the East Coast where it was all about hardcore assimilation and then when I moved to LA where there were already so many Koreans here... I got to the immigrant church and my youth kids were so ingrained and enmeshed in watching Korean dramas and listening to Korean music and all these things. And so it's so fascinating to me where a lot of the academic research showed along from, because they're like 20 years old, how essential church was, like you said, Kevin, it was a space that was safe for young people in particular, like in the Midwest or in areas where there weren't a lot of Asian Americans. And yet we still had to process through, I think, you know, dismantling and untangling our own colonialism in ourselves, right? And so I have continually learned how do I appreciate my culture? And yet I am American. I'm very Western in my certain things that I think about. I like having structure and I like having systems. I'm the J personality. So systemic theology kind of pleases my soul. And yet in all of our Asian-ness, I also am trying to welcome the Eastern mindset and concept of flow and intersectionality and trying to figure out how do I intersect these two worlds that we live in. And so how do we help young people in the midst of them growing up in Asian American church, really learn what it means to be Asian American, really know like how to love themselves and their identity, both in Jesus and also in the fact that they were born Asian. Because my mom, as my mom said, you might want to do some eyelid surgery and you might want to dye your hair blonde, (laughs) but child, you are Asian. Just accept it, right? (laughs) So how do we have that? How do we help young people develop a positive identity of who they are. Yeah, I think it starts with acceptance, you know, like you're saying, just accepting your roots, where your family comes from, and really trying to open up the dialogue so that uh, both generations can learn from each other. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times parents and youth, their conversation is very transactional, right? Did yes. you eat? Did you do your homework? Do you need a ride? You know, and then we're supposed to understand, especially the question, did you eat yet? Means I love you, right? And so we need to move beyond that. And and one thing that I feel like parents, a lot of Asian parents don't do is they don't share their own stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that I'm 41, you know, my dad has been sharing these stories about his young adult life, how he made money to support his family. He's the eldest son of like seven siblings. And just the hardships that he's been through. And I was thinking, dang, dad, why didn't you tell me these things earlier? You know, like that would have so spoken into my life. It would have even given me more understanding of who you are, where you come from, why sometimes you're like not, you know, like the dad I want you to be, right? Like, I I feel like so much can happen. Healing, understanding, empathy, a natural, maybe even like... I don't know, mentoring, right? That so many Asian Americans don't get. If we could just hear the stories of our parents Mm. and then vice versa, Mm. if they could just hear our stories of what we're going through in our schools. And I think a church then can be a great place to try to offer that safe space if families can't do it because culturally, traditionally, 
in a shame culture, right? Like you, you don't talk about your own life, what you've been through. You just keep on pushing people to do well. And so something that I would do when I was in youth ministry, I would have like panels of young adults come and speak to our, our youth kids. So it's still like an adult point of view, but it's, it's not so close to home. And then they could kind of ask those questions and see how they've, you know, wrestled through things and just, yeah, really open things up for them. So. I really like what you said, Jane, about stories. And I think you even highlighted that in the toolkit about, or the toolkit highlights that about like sharing identity stories yeah. to help Asian American youths kind of develop their own identity. And because that was really for, formative for me, for my own Asian American identity is hearing stories about Asian Americans rejecting the narratives that have kind of been thrust upon them. Mm-hmm. Um, because Asian American is a term that's always defined and written for you. Mm-hmm. It's written by majority culture telling mm-hmm. you, you are other. It's written mm-hmm. by parents to kind of like, hey, assimilate, keep mm-hmm. your head down, just work hard and you're like, you'll be okay. But I just love stories like that buck that narrative. So whether it's like crazy rich Asians dealing with like the emasculation of Asian men through like mm-hmm. beefcake shots of Henry Goldbein <laughs> <laughs> or, like, or like what I love is uh, like a book that was really helpful for me was Eddie Huang's memoir, Fresh Off the Boat, mm-hmm. how he is being forced like, hey, like his parents want him to assimilate. His parents want him to be a lawyer. Meanwhile, it's, you know, white America telling him like ching chong, ching chong, giving him mm-hmm. slanty eyes and yet his discovery of his own voice. And I think that's what the church needs to do is just help Asian Americans discover their own voice that because God has given them a voice. God mm-hmm. is the author of their story. And I think one of the ways is hearing other people's stories. So something that's always been helpful for me is hearing the stories of my like African-American, my Latinx brothers and sisters in Christ. Not that it's the same as my story, but that I can see God working so actively in their lives that it makes me realize like, what is God saying currently in my life that I need to sort of tune in and listen to? That's good stuff. In addition to the role models, I just realized that embracing who I am, even in my age, in my mid-40s, it's a lifelong journey. I was yeah. I was at an, an establishment recently and somebody just was staring at me the whole time, made me really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't until a little bit later, he finally, it was an older gentleman, a, a Caucasian male, and finally approached me and asked me, where I was from, and I knew exactly what he meant. And so I said, my, fam- my, my, uh, my heritage is from Korea. And he's like, I knew it. And, you know, even no matter how often you hear this, I was taken aback because it's been so long since someone had asked me, where are you from? No, where are you really from? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just, you know, having more positive role models who look like you and also being able to celebrate your differences is really important. Just being able to celebrate that, yeah, we're different and we've contributed so much. And even in our Asian culture, there are so many, we may not necessarily fit into our own minority culture, but that even as an individual, I may be different, but being able to celebrate that together and having more role models that that basically can help represent the difference, the beauty of all the differences in Asian American culture, I think is really important. So just having more role models and also knowing that it's a lifelong process and that, (laughs) and it's not linear, but we may always jump between different phases in our lives of our self-searching. But I think it's something that's worth uh, pursuing. Yeah, I love it. I also, you know, I, I had this discovery, and I, I've shared this with a lot of youth leaders, to build empathy with parents. Because I was told as I'm entering into youth ministry, you know, your ministry isn't just about ministering to kids. 
and you have to deal with volunteers. Your ministry is about parents and your ministry is about the leaders and the pastors that you work with, which as a youth leader, I was like, screw that. You know, (laughs) I'm here to work with the kids. Like I hate adults. Otherwise I would be an adult ministry. Right. (laughs) Um, and, but the, the thing is, unfortunately, after all the journey, I'm like, shoot, it really, really is. And I started discovering too, you know, I started doing the math. When you think about parents, a lot of us went straight into youth ministry. So we've been thinking about youth issues since we've been 18, 20 years old. And we read up on all the issues on psychological, sociological, historical, like all the things, right? Parents are just hustling to pay mortgage. And so they go through college, they graduate youth high school, and then they go to college or they whatever, immigrate here. Then they get a job, they maybe get married, then they have pop out a baby. And it's still like 15, 20 years later when they start actually dealing with their teenager or their preteen or whatever, right? And I'm like, of course they're not going to know how to talk to their kids because this little five-year-old that was the sweetest thing in the world is now fully like hormones raging through them and they're just in I hate you mode. And how do we help parents? This is why the conversations are so important. And I think Jane, what you're saying is really vital And I love the suggestion you gave, which was the panels and helping to hear stories. But what else can we do as a church, as people who work and engage with young people, that we can help facilitate these conversations, facilitate these sharing stories? You know, we talk about role models, and yet I would love to hear from all three of you, aside from panels, what else can we do to help engage in these conversations? What other practical tools or advice would you give on how to elevate conversation and elevate story sharing between adults and our youth kids to help engage and develop faith? Yeah, I think we need to really speak to the parents where they're at. And you're right, they're so busy with the hustle and bustle of work that they don't have time to really engage with their youth. They don't even know why it's important. And so sometimes I would have these meetings at church and I would be like, okay, parent, whatever, like parent teacher conference, just just come in uh, once a year, whatever. And I would straight up try to school the parents. You know, I would bring out statistics. I'd be like, look, statistics show that highly educated Asian Americans are not getting job positions like that are on the manager or supervisor or higher level because we're just trained to be like yes men and yes women. And you know, you kind of have to break down their American dream that if you study hard and work hard, you'll make it. And so it's part of it is like kind of convincing them. And, you know, interesting enough with those statistics, part of the reason why so many Asian Americans can't rise to the top. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but one of it is we're very low on EQ. Okay. So like relational skills, like we don't care about other people. Right. (laughs) Um, and you know, like, so actually telling them, you know, the conversations that you have, even engaging with them on dialogue about like the news, current events, racism, like these things are so important because it is life skills that they need um, in order to engage in the world. And, you know, maybe even like I would, I would go far, I would even show statistics about how Asian, the Asian American population is so poorly resourced from like a, maybe a more like a government or social services point of view, because we're so silent. Mm-hmm. They think we don't have the same problems as everyone else on this planet. 
And I would literally show them cases where it's like, oh, you know, for example, there's these programs for even like the most kind of small minority group, right? Like the Native American group (laughs) of, you know, I don't know, Wichita, Kansas, whatever, you know, but they don't have it for Asian Americans because they think we don't have these problems. Like we don't, they think we don't have these health issues or whatnot. And so uh, I think trying to talk to the parents, getting them on board, I would even pressure my senior pastor, like you need to talk to these parents that their soccer events and their, their SAT school isn't, isn't everything because they were so busy trying to live the American dream yeah. that they weren't coming to church. And then, yeah, there's so, there's so many things you can do. I would love it. Kevin and Rosanna, do you have anything that you've done that has been effective in helping yeah, there's, educate? Uh, when I worked at the Korean American uh, church, we it was a, had 100 uh, youth group members uh, down in South Jersey, and we used to do a family night. Mm-hmm. And it was actually really um, well-received because we, we invited all the parents, and we had a panel discussion of both parents and children, uh, other kids uh, sitting at the panel, and just, and just having a facilitated conversation. And the conversation was really honest and real. And I think, Jane, you, are, you hit it on the nose. Like we don't, you know, as most stereotypically Asian Americans really score low on the emotional IQ part. Mm-hmm. And I know for me growing up, I really wanted to talk about my feelings with my mom and she just did, hadn't, she did not know how she didn't have the capacity. And I know, I think a lot of kids today want to continue to share and be able to explore their feelings. They just don't know how to do that with their parents, especially if there's a cultural or language barrier, just a generational barrier as well. So having a facilitated conversation in the church setting, I think was really helpful. It was really eye-opening because it forced the parents to see some of the pain that their kids were really wrestling with. If they were in the past, we thought it was not significant. They were dismissive of it because they're busy working with real problems. Like, oh, I have to pay the bills and get mm-hmm. food on the, mm-hmm. on the table. And so, you know, if my kid is struggling with depression or like feelings, it's not real. But at least having this facilitated conversation and seeing the kids' pain um, yeah. and their hurts, being able to see that vulnerability, I think was really impactful. The parents were forced to see that and acknowledge the pain. Mm-hmm. And I only did it one or two times, and I kind of regret that I wish I'd done it more because those, those evenings were really powerful. And it just it, it started the conversation, and it shouldn't have ended. But I think it's definitely really uh, was a really awesome thing that we did. Yeah, it's good. Um, I think one thing that... I've seen is finding parents within the church who can be advocates and allies yeah. for your ministry Yes, and can converse with other parents as well in ways that you yeah. as the youth pastor, especially in a, where there's like generational hierarchy in an Asian American church, like they can kind of converse with their parents in ways that you kind of can't and that they can sort of advocate like, this is why your kid shouldn't be coming to church mm. or like the pressures that you're putting on your kid right now that's actually somewhat more harmful than it is actually helping. So yeah, I had a couple good parents at my last church who like their daughter was awesome, but they had built relationships with some other parents and were really helpful in getting those kids to come to church, even though they might've been wrestling and going through some issues at the time. Not every parent should necessarily be helping out in your youth ministry, <laughs> right? but <laughs> but there are definitely, it's, it doesn't have to be something that we shy away from where it's like no parents at all ever. Uh, right. Because, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's something I would say. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. to add to that real quick, Kevin, I would say yeah. having some parents be your allies just to even have your back. Yeah. You know yeah. I'm saying because sometimes, right, that's the only time parents get really opinionated <laughs> is let's say they don't like something that you're doing. 
and kind of like their own gossiping or you know whatnot can really work against you or it could be as silly as let's say you know because I had this happen there was like a new girl you know in my youth group and so she didn't really have a good time at retreat with the other kids Mm -hmm. because right they weren't being that as friendly but when she came home and then she cried it out it made it sound like youth group is horrible and then there was like this huge kind of questioning of are you doing a good job as a youth pastor and I'm like look this has nothing to do with me okay and so you know you need ally parents for all sorts of reasons not just to try to help bring the kids to to church because it can get messy and political really fast and what I find is you don't have the same respect because I used to be a junior high English teacher for six years before I went into youth pastoring And I was like, how is it that I have more respect and authority in a secular setting than I do being a youth pastor? And, you know, when I'm trying to really care for the development of these youth and their character, and then if I'm going to speak into that, and then you're going to be offended because I said something to your child, like, really? (laughs) You know, like, I'm not here to be the nice youth pastor that's just, I don't know. um, Here to babysit your kid. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And be like the, the fun auntie that convinces them to come to church. I actually want them to meet Jesus and and be changed. Yeah. I think too, developing allyship, one of the things, again, you know, having learned, okay, my ministry is a part of being, ministering to parents, letting parents know that you are their ally as well. I think a lot of parents, when I was discovering, they thought I was on the side of their kids. So it's like Mm -hmm. me and the kids versus the parents, you know? And so- I think as I started doing a lot of trainings for, obviously it's predominantly going to be moms, but, and even sharing my own history with my mom and how I grew and like the problems I had and things that I said to my mom. I remember there was this one time I was sharing what, like a brat I was and how I had an attitude to my mom. And I would always say to her, never mind. I swear 30 moms in the room, like shouted at the top of their lungs. They were like, ah, never mind. And they, like, they were like, I hate that word. And they, they started going into all of the, their own trauma and emotional baggage they had between them and their children because they, they're like, we are intelligent people. And yet my child makes me feel like the stupidest person on the planet. And so they're like, Pastor Irene, you really said that to your mom? You're so mature. And I was like, oh no, I was terrible, right? And so like yeah. even acknowledging that and just walking with parents to let parents know it's going to be okay. We're going to figure this out together. We're a team together to help your kid. When I started shifting my mind that why are parents so ridiculous and why can't they get it to how can we help help you be a better parent? How can I give you better tools? How can I even know that I know what you're going through? You know, like the struggle is real. I think a lot of that has been helpful, which to plug the toolkit, Fuller Youth Institute through the multicultural initiatives that they have, have been writing toolkit conversation guides. And so for intergenerational conversations guide, and they did one specifically for Asian American youth, obviously they can cover everything, but a lot of what they did was even helping in the facilitation of the conversations to help parents start diving into their own trauma and diving into their own 
subconscious like need to hold on to power? What is the emotional motivation behind that? And what do they fear by relinquishing power to their children? And so there's a lot of great conversations that are in this toolkit. It is very not expensive. If you go to fulleryouthinstitute.org website, you will see understanding and relating to Asian American youth. It's great. It's really short and sweet. Obviously, again, it's not comprehensive in the sense of it's going to solve all of your problems, but it's definitely a great starting point to help you if you are a youth leader out there or a pastor and you want to start helping families begin to have conversations with one another to bring healing, I definitely encourage you to check it out and go to the website and you will actually get a physical hard copy of it and not just a digital copy. It's amazing. As we're closing out, just one final wisdom nugget each of you could share on what you either hope could happen in the church, what you are excited about is happening in the church, what you're excited about with our younger generation coming up as far as Gen Z, Asian American youth, how they're growing, what they're doing. And I can launch out. I think I'm really excited for Gen Z. I think they have learned a lot about EQ and CQ, cultural intelligence, and how important all of that is. I think because they are born behind the eight ball and with everything happening in our American society, I think they are learning to not follow the system and trust the system, which I know to some that's terrible because they're cynical and maybe apathetic a bit, but I think it's a great starting point where we can put in questions of excitement and passion and purpose into their vision of what the future would look like. Yeah. And I think one thing I would just encourage everyone to do is just really not be afraid to have true and deep conversations. Yes. Living in the LA OC area, actually Asian Americans were kind of like the majority, not the minority, mm-hmm. but we say, you know, it doesn't mean uh, all of these problems have gone away. Yep. It's just, we've taken on another identity, which is like the white comfortable suburban identity. And we still don't go deep. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, let's not be afraid to dive deep, look into family systems, you know, really figure out our identity and really figure out like, how can we live lives that are very meaningful, you know? Um, I think what I see with our young people uh, up and coming are that they are more aware, like I know Jane, you were saying that how so in the past we were afraid to challenge the system and to be able to speak up. But I do see that the young people are more socially progressive and conscious and and starting to step up. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see that, to see where, and they are the leadership, they are the future leaders of the, they are the leaders of the church, (laughs) just to see where that takes us. Because yeah, it doesn't take much to see that we live in a very broken world and there's lots of healing and restoration that's needed uh, to come. So I'm really excited to see what the rising generation has to offer. Yeah, I think what I'd, What I really love about this generation of Asian American youth is seeing how they have role models who have, even when the door has been closed to them, that have just like carved out spaces for themselves Mm. uh, and to sort of create their own voice, whether that was like, you know, when YouTube had all these like Asian American YouTubers for a while, or whether it's like, you know, Chloe Kim at like, like at the Olympics, or it's like Dave, like Dave Chang kind of said, like, I don't feel bound by traditional Asian cuisine or like my white French cuisine training. I'm going to sort of just make something of my own in and of itself. They have people who they can see that like, 
if I want to be heard, if I want to discover my voice, if I want to know who God has created me to be, I need to sort of look inside and find that within. So I love it. So good. And obviously we can't talk about everything so complex and systems and churches and where everything is heading is this huge, gigantic thing that we have to deal with. But thank you all for your insight. For the audience, thank you so much for journeying with us throughout this whole entire season. Please be sure to subscribe, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on all the things so that you can continue to get all the notifications for when our next season is coming up. And if you feel that any of these episodes have been helpful and significant, please do not hesitate to share as we spread the word. It will continue to help with funding and get the word out and all of those beautiful, wonderful things. Thank you so much. I'm Irene Cho. I've been your host for this whole entire season two for Centering Podcast with Asian American Center at Fuller Theological Seminary. Thank you all, Kevin, Jane, and Rosanna. That has been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Such a great way for us to conclude. (laughs) Next generation. We're going to rock. Love you all. And grab your Asian American toolkit. toolkit. Lots of practical advice there. Yes. Uh, and I, I authored like half of it. So. Yes, she did. <laughs> yes. Thank you so God much. God bless all. you all. We're all about community at Centering. We invite you to join the conversation by sending your comments and questions at centeringpodcast at gmail.com. Also, be sure to visit our website at centered.today for a list of other shows and resources. This episode is produced by Jason Chu. Edited by Carl Cathedral with music by Mark Redito. I'm your host, Irene Cho. And above all else, we want to remind you that God embraces all of who you are.